Brazil's harvests typically follow a two-year cycle, one strong year and then a weaker year. This is typically supposed to be the weaker year if you follow that traditional cycle. But we're actually looking at a larger annual harvest this year than last because last year's was so far below average. And it's not to say that this year is so abnormally strong. It's going to be a, a larger harvest, but it's you know it's some, not some supernaturally large. It's just that last year was pretty small. Uh, but that still does suggest probably more suppressed pricing is ahead unless we do see macro conditions improve and demand is resurgent. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hello and welcome to IBKR Podcasts. I'm Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst at Interactive Brokers and your host for today's program. We'll be speaking with Sean McGovern, Vice President of Research at McAlinden Research Partners, about the current state of coffee futures. Uh, it's part of our series on agricultural commodities and what you might expect your next breakfast bill could amount to. Speaking of which, we're joined here by Michael Kerrigan, our Human Resources Director at IBKR, also Jeff Praisman, our Senior Trading Education Specialist, and they're going to talk about some of their experiences on the ground, so to speak, in terms of their spending on coffee. So, Sean, Michael, Jeff, that's a good party. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to be here. Coffee in hand, actually. <laughs> me too, actually. Not a good idea for me, but uh, it's there. Okay, so today we're, we're going to talk about coffee. It's, uh, it's one of the staples in many people's morning routines. I think uh, Dolly Parton called it a cup of ambition, didn't she? Um, title song from the movie Nine to Five, at least in many parts of the U.S., uh, typically sits alongside other agricultural commodities like sugar, wheat, lean hogs for bacon, frozen concentrated orange juice, to name just uh, a few. And there are some consumer staples, consumer discretionary companies like Starbucks or Carrot Dr. Pepper. They've got earnings coming up, so uh, yeah, maybe we can get a glimpse into what these firms might serve up. So great to have all your perspectives here. Going to get some insights into what coffee futures prices are doing and what they're pointing to and why, as well as what some of us are paying for coffee at our local retailer, which just might be our own kitchen here at work. So y'all drink coffee. Let's, let's just talk about your first cup of the day. What's your brand of choice? Is it big? Is it small? You know, how much do you pay for it? We'll start with, start with Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, so I, um, I usually have actually one cup of coffee a day, usually around 10, 30, 11. And it kind of varies depending where I'm at. So if I'm at office, I prefer uh, Dunkin' Donuts hazelnut out of the Keurig there. <laughs> okay. it, if I'm working from home, I usually pop open a Costco Kirkland brand cold brew iced coffee. And if it's during the week and I'm running errands, I usually grab a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks iced coffee while I'm out running uh, errands with the kids. In fact, I actually usually see Mike at my local Starbucks. As far as cost, yeah. I, I would say um, I think they definitely have gone up. The Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, I would say, probably have gone up like 60 cents a cup, I would think, from the year before. 60 and cents a cup, you think it's gone up? I think so. Yeah. I usually go with the large or extra large iced coffee. Since last year. So what is it What is it now? Do you mind telling us what you pay for it now? I'm going to say around $5. $5 for a cup of coffee? Probably $4.55, $4. yeah. Wow. And what's that brand again? Usually either uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. Okay. The Kirkland's probably about a dollar sixty a can, and uh, I actually discovered it during the pandemic when I was working from home, <laughs> and it's it's pretty good and it's a pretty good deal. So. All right, all right. We'll go to you, Michael. Michael, what do you what do you uh, what's your your brand of choice? First cup of the day, big, small. How much you pay? Uh, yes. So uh, coffee has become a staple of my diet. 
<laughs> especially in the morning. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I am an avid coffee drinker. I've been drinking, you know, uh, I probably switched over from tea when I moved from Ireland to come over here. So coffee was, I've kind of progressed in my coffee taste. Um, but I, I do drink plenty of coffee. I probably have close to two, three, four cups a day, depending on the day. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, as far as what I normally get, you know, I typically go for a medium and not a large or small. So I threw it through a loop there. Um, you know, brands of choice, I'm not picky. Um, I tend to, you know, lead toward more of the dark roast. So any kind of brand of the dark roast, although at home I, my staples are Pete's and uh, 8 o'clock are usually my brand. And I kind of avoid the Keurig when I'm at home, um, <laughs> although I use it here in the office. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and actually Starbucks version is what I use in the office. Uh, you know, if you want to jump in the cost wise, I think that's probably why I drink more coffee at home. Um, you know, it became a very expensive habit for my family, you know, because they all drink <laughs> yeah. Yeah. some version of Starbucks of coffee, whether it's those crazy little drinks that include some caffeine or whether it includes a coffee. Uh, mine is not as expensive as, <laughs> as Jeff's here. Um, you know, mine was typically around $3 because I just get a plain coffee and just a little milk. Okay. Um, but my wife drinks, a, you know, one of those like long named... Uh, coffee drinks from Starbucks and <laughs> that I can't repeat and it takes like literally 12 different directions to make and <laughs> I've seen that go up almost probably close to a dollar fifty um, okay. which typically for a vent day she would probably pay close to five dollars probably last year but I think the last time I went um, I think it was probably close to like 675 for the same drink. 675? Yeah. Wow. I know, uh, I know Starbucks I think mentioned in their earnings at some point last year late last year I think maybe around November that uh, they were raising prices by about 6%. I believe it was something like that. Sean, you want to share your uh, habits with coffee and what you drink, what your brand of choice is, say, for the morning? I jump around a little bit. Sometimes I'm in the mood for a drip coffee, but sometimes I'm a little bit more higher end in my choices, and uh, I like a good Nespresso. Uh, okay. I've been doing that for a couple of years. I got um, one of those sort of Nespresso coffee makers uh, as a as a as a gift a couple of years ago and i'll tell you it's good it's good <laughs> and it's it's a it's a bit addictive so the yeah. prices have have really gone up i mean i think a sleeve of uh, they have like these aluminum pods and i think the aluminum might actually be what's driving up the price so much they're recyclable okay. yeah. um definitely going up at least 10 20 dollars for a sleeve so really wow. significant price increases there but uh i keep paying it so <laughs> <laughs> it is addictive i mean it sounds like prices are going up all around it's interesting for me. I mean, I read somewhere that a good Mediterranean diet, which I decided to look into, and there was some site, somebody had said that within the Mediterranean diet, all you should really drink is coffee or water. And so that's all I've been following. So for the past almost year, that's all I've been drinking is coffee and water. And I guess coffee is a good deal of water already. So I can tell you, I wake up at about 4.30 in the morning every morning. I drink instant. That's probably not such a connoisseur's coffee of choice, but uh, it is instant. It's it's called Jakobs. It's German, I think. I get it at my local organic market. It's a seven ounce bottle. Cost me about $11, which I suppose makes about 20, 15 ounce cups of coffee or something like that. It translates to about $1.36 a cup. So I, I did the math on this. And you know, it's not bad, right? I mean, $1.36 a cup in the morning? I, I don't know. I mean, this is what I'd like to find out. I'd like to find out if what we're paying for coffee is reasonable. 
And Sean, I'm looking to you for these insights. So I guess the first thing is, is it reasonable? Do you think that any of us should be spending what we're spending on coffee? And the second thing is, where are futures headed? So I'm actually really glad you asked this question because I think the most cliche advice I've heard about saving money is if you want to save money, stop buying the fancy latte, stop buying the Starbucks, Dunkin', whichever of those. (laughs) If you want to build savings, some people really pretend that's that's going to be a huge game changer. And to some extent, you will save more money. It's true, right? But to me, there's a bit of behavioral economics at play there. Coffee is obviously an important part of our day. We get something out of it. If we didn't, it wouldn't be one of the most widely traded commodities. We wouldn't be talking about it. But every person is different. They have varied preferences. And I think there's something to be said for spending a little extra on things that boost someone's happiness and and really their productivity. Uh, For some people, all the coffee out there, whether you get it at the coffee shop, make it at home, you're going to get an identical reaction. That's some people. But other people, maybe... Maybe guys like Jeff, right? A higher end brand, maybe the retail experience, something like that can actually be encouraging, motivating, part of an effective routine. It's actually making some someone more productive and driving their performance at work. Before COVID, we actually had free coffee in our office. Right. And sometimes <laughs> I'd, I'd drink that, but I would still go across the street to the Starbucks as an excuse for some fresh air to see other people. Most importantly, I have a strong preference for iced coffee, which just is not the same out of the fridge. I don't know why nobody can seem to get that right, but that's just a perfect example of why coffee is more than some kind of thing we just shut our eyes and, and, and kick back. You know, I'm not saying it's sustainable for everyone to go out and spend like crazy on coffee or stopping by the Starbucks twice a day or something like that. But within reason, I do believe some people, uh, a cup of their preferred coffee, can play a role in increasing their productivity. Maybe even if they're more productive, their income, enough to compensate for that marginal cost you might incur from spending a little extra. If you just think about it in dollar terms, the difference between spending something like $3 a day on coffee or $1, as a hypothetical, it's going to end up something like $700, $750 a year. And that's nice to have $700 more in your pocket, right? But uh, that's something you could invest. But at the same time, is it going to change your quality of life? Probably not. But coffee is one of those things that isn't purely utilitarian. And like I said, we get something out of it. And that something can oftentimes be enough to cover your coffee habit, whatever the price actually is. It just it comes down to your tastes, uh, which items you consume that really make a difference in your day to day life. Yeah, I don't think my breakfast would be complete without a cup of coffee. It's just it seems to be just a matter of complete habit now. It's amazing. But what about coffee futures? So if, if we look at coffee futures, I saw that they were fairly astronomical last year, maybe around the third quarter. They were highly elevated prices. They've come down quite a bit. I think sometime in, in January, I think it was like January 11th or something like that. They'd hit a low of about just like $1.43 or something, $1.44. This is according to our IBQR Trader Workstation. They're still about that level now. They're about, I don't know, 152, 153. We're in late January. So how do you account for these moves? You know, is it weather in those producing exporting countries or what can you break down for us? Sure. Well, just looking at the price pattern, uh, like you said, throughout a good portion of last year, all the way up into the second quarter or so, we, we were watching the agricultural commodities very closely, focusing a good amount of our research on those futures. Along with wheat and corn, coffee is one of the big winners in that sector. And as you said, uh, coffee has really been in a two-year-long bull run before the wheels started coming off 
back in the fall. If you go back to August of 2020, coffee futures were trading around 115, 120 per pound or so. Uh, by August last year, you were seeing those futures double that, shooting up north of 240. Yeah. Uh, but from then on, uh, 2022 ended up being kind of a brutal year for coffee and most other crop futures as well, in fact. Part of that widespread down uh, drawdown was perceived weakness on the demand side by traders, which played a large role in commodity pricing across the board, whether it was you know, crops or copper, anything like that. Monetary policy has been a major factor there with the uh, interest rates in the U.S. and just about everywhere else rising quickly, ratcheting up concerns around economic growth. Mm. And we've also seen trade flows beginning to slow down. And that's a really significant factor when you're talking about a widely exported commodity like coffee. Uh, it had begun ticking up a bit into the new year once it became clear that major central banks like the Fed were getting ready to pull back on the size and frequency of these ongoing rate hikes. But that rally was derailed by some of the bullish supply side factors we're seeing at this point. And coffee is back toward uh, those multi-year lows around 155 or so. And yes, uh, weather, like you said, is, is a huge factor in that. Coffee prices are heavily dependent on what's happening in several key regions. Central and South America are the most important of those because you have Brazil, Colombia, Honduras, Costa Rica, all these huge Arabica producing powerhouses. And, and those are just some examples. Yeah. I mean, probably, you mentioned, go you ahead. mentioned uh, slowing trade flows. I mean, is that... Um, mostly a consequence of the strengthening dollar or is that uh, a culmination of all sorts of catalysts uh, involved in trade like still maybe some kind of COVID zero type policy consequence from China? Well, I don't know if that has to do anything with, with coffee though, uh, or I, I mean, I'm not sure. Is it? Uh, well, it absolutely does. It yeah. absolutely does. So the dollar has actually been weakening into this year. I think I think it peaked. Uh, if you look at the DXY, yeah. I think it peaked somewhere around 112, 114, somewhere in there uh, last year. But coming into this year, we're looking at it around 102 as of yesterday, I believe. Okay. Uh, so we're actually seeing a weakening dollar. And what you would you would think that that trade flows might speed up because uh, foreign countries would be getting uh, more goods from the United States. Uh, for you know more bang for their buck against uh, against dollar denominated goods, but it's it's just not enough. It's just a, it's aggregate demand it appears to be falling. We saw both in the U.S. alone, we saw exports and imports fall in the most recent data we have. I think it's through November, and um, yeah, coffee is going to be hugely dependent on that. And uh, it, if it's it's all reflective of demand, and it's really been the demand side. But I, I do want to highlight some of the supply side factors that. Uh, are playing a role. Like you said, weather's a big uh, a big deal. Uh, coffee has to grow in really delicate conditions, particularly in Brazil. So that's where most of the Arabica comes from. Like by far, Brazil is one of the leading producers of Arabica beans. And um, that's kind of the higher end bean. It's, it's very uh, fragrant, sweet kind of vibe, you know. Uh, and most importantly for this conversation, they're also the global benchmark for coffee futures on intercontinental exchange. So that's the bean we're usually referring to when we talk about coffee futures contracts. Um, as I said, we look at Brazil to get a real kind of broad sense of what's happening in coffee markets, and they've had some strong rains lately. That leads to very high levels of soil moisture in Brazil's coffee growing regions. So not only does that lead to a good harvest, but also larger beans. And the larger the beans are, the fewer bags, uh, rather the fewer the fewer it takes to fill a bag, and that's mm -hmm. how they measure the yield in in bags. Uh, so that's going to kind of inflate the yield a little bit if the beans are larger in size. 
Brazil's harvests typically follow a two-year cycle, one strong year and then a weaker year. This is typically supposed to be the weaker year if you follow that traditional cycle, but we're actually looking at a larger annual harvest this year than last because last year's was so far below average. And it's not to say that this year is so abnormally strong. It's going to be a, a larger harvest, but it's you know some, not some supernaturally large. It's just that last year was pretty small. Uh, but that still does suggest probably more suppressed pricing is ahead unless we do see macro conditions improve and demand is resurgent. You mentioned China. China is a huge uh, consumer of coffee and they are opening back up. One thing uh, interesting about China specifically is that their coffee culture is very much based around uh, the coffee shop. Now, they do drink it at home, I'm sure, but uh, going out to the coffee shop and kind of having that experience uh, at, the, at the Starbucks yeah. or whatever uh, whatever chains they have out there, that's the big thing for them. And that will probably, when you, have, when you have zero COVID, you can't go to the coffee shop, you know? So I do think that will play a role in uh, what we see with coffee going forward. And, and one last thing I'll highlight too is along with the Arabica bean, there's also the Robusta bean. That's seen as a lower quality bean. It, it is kind of um, a little bit more rugged kind of flavor. Uh, it actually has a higher caffeine concentration. You get these mostly grown in Africa and Asia. It's funny that uh, Arabica is actually from Ethiopia. That's where it's natively from, but um, that's more known as a Robusta producing country. I think it's about 50-50 there, but yeah, you get these Robusta beans and they are more uh, more protective against uh, bad weather and other external conditions. Those we're actually seeing a down year for, it looks like. Uh, I think in Indonesia, they're going to have a 10-year low in uh, in the harvest for the Robusta beans. Uganda is seeing some problems too. And that could create uh, some price, uh, some cost pressure on the lower end brands you see at the supermarket, not the sort of luxury brands that are right. using pure Arabica, but a lot of the kind of maybe store brands and things like that. They're going to feel the problems we're seeing with Robusta beans. It's not like the Maxwell houses of the world or the could be exactly something like that. Right. Uh, interesting. But yeah, I know you mentioned so you mentioned Starbucks, and I think that this is really interesting. We also been talking a bit about uh, the Carrick. Uh, pods. And so I think that that's also very, these, both these companies have earnings coming up, at least from the date of this recording. And so what do you think they're going to tell us? I know that Carrick Dr. Pepper had spoken a lot about uh, inflationary prices when it came to coffee and their pretty recent past earnings with Starbucks presence in China as well. And some, I'm sure, dependency on uh, revenues there. Are we about to see any kind of changes or difference? I mean, Maybe input costs have changed for them with lower prices of coffee in terms of the commodity and keeping maybe consumer prices high. I don't know if they've retracted them from from their, their I think they've raised them pretty, pretty recently. Yes, definitely raising. Uh, right off the bat, we can expect that falling commodity prices for coffee will ease some of the uh, cost pressure that roasters and coffee shops were probably feeling last summer. That could suggest better margins on the products, but really near-term shifts in coffee prices are not always going to tell us a whole lot about what we should expect for earnings at these companies. Some of them uh, actually secure lots of their supply well in advance of spot buying. I mean, uh, Starbucks buys 12 to 18 months out from uh, when they actually intend to sell the coffee. I believe they keep they keep a pretty big stockpile of uh, stuff that they're buying way out there along the curve as opposed to relying on um, spot buying or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's the commodity price of coffee is definitely a significant cost component. 
no doubt about it. But there's really a lot more that goes into your bag of coffee at the store or your cup at the barista counter. You've got transportation costs, packaging, so many moving parts. Most investors simply not going to be able to account for all those things. Understanding what's happening on the demand side it might be more helpful in kind of thinking about earnings for these guys. We know prices are rising in general. That's certain. What we need to figure out is how elastic is consumer demand in relation to these price increases. That is, how much does consumption of a product change in reaction to adjustment in price? Well, what the data we've seen thus far from previous earnings falls uh, for different companies is that uh, demand at coffee shops like Starbucks have uh, remained relatively inelastic with comparable sales, pretty robust. Uh, it's important to note that we've We've seen that into the most recently reported quarter. That doesn't necessarily mean that'll hold in, in, in the quarter coming up here. Uh, but uh, consumption of coffee is, is is remaining pretty steady from what we can tell. And that's not surprising. We, As we're, we're all saying, we consume it every single day. And I guess it can't be such a surprise. We're, we're all sitting here talking about our coffee loyalties and yeah, uh, we're going to buy coffee. It's true. And, you know, I think a big part of this also is consumer behavior. Because I know that Carrick Dr. Pepper will talk about say, you know, the at home versus at office type of consumption. And we've had lockdowns. We were at home for a considerable amount of time. And we do not have new policies now here at IBKR. We're working three days a week in the office. So the, the question that I've got really is, has coffee consumption behavior changed? We've got a litmus test we can ask people here. Michael, has your coffee consumption changed? Um, I don't think my the consumption level has so changed. Since last year, since, say, the lockdowns, for Yeah, so, so I probably have drank the same amount of coffee, I think, uh, and I haven't changed my purchasing. I think the interesting thing that I have, have noticed uh, for, for coffee change over the past year from the pandemic is I am a an absolute lover of uh, diner coffee. Right, I would go to the <laughs> diner and- I am too, that's I, right. I, I, it always tasted very good to me, and but I've noticed over the past several months and past year of that post pandemic is that it's become very watery and changed. I don't know if diners are obviously getting the squeeze for coffee because obviously a lot of consumers go into the diners to get coffee and stuff like that, that that coffee quality has gone down dramatically. Huh. Like it's very watered down. Uh, but my myself, you know, I think the fact that I am coming back in the office and pre pandemic, you know, the cost wise hasn't really affected me. I drink the same amount and, now I use the company to supplement their coffee habits by taking their free coffee. Um, and, you know, so from my perspective, I haven't really changed, but I have noticed quality in some areas has gone down and it could be yeah. cost, it could be anything. Um, but, you know, something I used to like and go often and now I've kind of stopped going to diners to get That's coffee. really unfortunate. I, I really like diner coffee as well, but they're like, you know, kind of skimping on how much they're using. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah. What what are you drinking? Are you uh, are you are you are you drinking more coffee at home or at work? So yeah. So I would say um, absolutely. My habits have changed. I mean, the pandemic is the entire reason I discovered that Costco cold brewed coffee. It's fairly decent tasting, and the convenience of having it in my fridge versus having to drive somewhere if I'm not already out of my house. Yeah. Kind of makes it my go-to when I'm working from home. So while I'm not drinking more, I'm just drinking different. You know. Plus, I think that may be twenty bucks for a twelve pack. So paying dollar seventy per serving. You know, it beats going to either Starbucks or Dunkin'. With that being said, though, Sean made a great point about, you know, the behavioral aspect of going to a barista or going to Starbucks or Dunkin'. There is that little bit of luxury there. You know, I'm not yeah. going to go out and buy a Ferrari, but I can go to Starbucks <laughs> and spend $5 on an iced coffee and just really enjoy it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's it's the same. I mean, I, 
I mean, obviously, I think that there's a lot less Kerrig being consumed, for example, uh, with all the pods that we have at work if we're working from home. So a lot of that gets unused, I suppose. And so I don't know, surplus of it. So I don't know, Sean, do, do you think it's going to be a big factor in, say, these companies' earnings that patterns of coffee consumption have or have not changed? Not, I don't expect that really. I, I think uh, we'll continue to see uh, in stores like Starbucks, I think, you know, people are still going. I think people actually uh, want to go there more. If we have people working remote all the time, it gets, it gets lonely. You know, they want to have an experience. They want to go out and see people. And um, I know that's how I felt. I know that is still something, you know, it's uh, working remotely, which many people are. They, there's, kind of that's your incentive to get out yeah right yeah yeah you can't do that virtually it's a whole other game isn't it to uh have that kind of break from work when you're working from home but you know i always drink too much so i i, I know that i need to cut down because i think i drink way too much coffee i can say that i if you know if i if i spent what i spend today and i put that aside say and i just drank the coffee at work all that money from the bottle of instant, all the you know copies from my local bakery when I go out, I would save all that, right? And my local bakery, it's like a dollar seventy-five for a cup of coffee, and last year it was a dollar fifty. So really, I think we we talked about inflation in part, but what about say producer prices, consumer prices, uh, according to say the Bureau of Labor Statistics? I mean, are we seeing? any of that really come down? I know coffee was a, a huge concern at one point last year. Is it going to remain so? Are we in a certain lull? Or, or do you think that it's projected perhaps to scale back up again? Is, it, is there any way of knowing? Yes, actually. And yeah, no, we've not, we have not seen the <laughs> producer prices for coffee come down whatsoever. They're actually close to uh, the highs. Um, huh. Going to consumer prices first, uh, coffee at home was uh, rising more quickly than retail locations like quick service shops. NPD has uh, data they put out on this. And uh, the cost of brewing your own coffee at home was rising around 20% year over year in 2022 versus about 7 or 8% for a coffee at a quick service station. So either way, pretty fast. But coffee at home was really where you saw the most inflation on the consumer side. Uh, as far as producer prices go, the BLS does have a series that covers coffee and tea manufacturing in the PPI, the Producer Price Index. Yes. Uh, so producer prices for roasted coffee were also rising at a rate north of 20%. And that looks like they passed those on to consumers <laughs> almost completely, How right? this diner uh, that, that Mike was going maybe, to. Maybe, right, yeah. right. It breaks my, breaks my heart, by the way, to hear about diners I doing know. that because I, I also love diner coffee. <laughs> And so, yeah, we're seeing 20% increases in the uh, coffee at home all throughout the fourth quarter. That was the quickest pace in about a decade. Uh, I was actually just at the grocery store yesterday and I made a mental note about the prices I was seeing. Sort of regular size bag, I guess 12 ounces or so, or you, well, you think it's 12 ounces. I'll get to that. But anyways, going anywhere from $4.99, $8.99 for the store brand or some of the familiar names, Folgers, Duncan, all those guys. If you really break that down and assume you're getting 15 cups of coffee out of that bag, you're looking at anywhere from 30, 60 cents a cup. Still a pretty good deal, even with inflation. When when inflation is 20% on something that's you know 30 cents a cup, you might find it a little bit hard to, to notice because it's so relatively cheap. That does add up, right? But what 
I really noticed was the shrinkflation going on with some of these brands. Yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say any names. No, no, I, names, I think that's pretty pervasive, actually. There yes, were, I, I understand. There were definitely a few 11 ounces mixed in there. You know, they, <laughs> but you, you, you know, they look like the 12 ounce bag. They might be the 12 ounce bag, but the net weight's only 11. There was even a 10.3 ouncer in there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, selling at the right, same, so. right, right. <laughs> selling at the same price point of the bags that were 12 ounces. And it was, it was still in that section with them didn't have its own little thing to the side or anything so price inflation is definitely there sometimes a little hard to spot though yeah. uh, which really is is good news for coffee drinkers right yeah i mean i guess unless you're you're you know going to that diner <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so that's the, that's the unfortunate part of this whole thing okay so i'm going to switch tack here altogether because i think that we're all very much now informed thank you so much to everybody here uh we're not done quite just yet because there's an innovation it seems seeping into the world. I think it has a lot to do with uh, ESG and sustainability. And this is all about sustainable coffee. There is now such a thing as a company that is producing coffee without any coffee beans at all. And I think that this is interesting. I thought I'd bring it up. It's called Minus Coffee. I found a company called Minus Coffee that's doing this. And so I'm going to quote this from this article from Food Institute. It was in January 10th of this year. And it says that, okay, coffee beans represent a crop that is the sixth most pollutive agricultural process concentrated in regions around the equator. So reason for doing this, producing coffee with coffee beans is just too pollutive. So the article citing food business news for this. And instead, Minus Coffee roasts upcycled roots, seeds, and legumes, which are then brewed in a fermentation batch with caffeine. And the article tells us this information comes from Maricel Sands. Don't know if I pronounced the name correctly, but CEO of Minus Coffee's parent company, Compound Foods. And these are comments made to Food Business News. With this kind of process going on and attention on ESG and sustainability, is this concerning at all to the coffee industry? Does it disrupt anything? Does it affect prices? Would anybody switch to this? I don't know if I would switch to this, but I, I, I'd like to hear your insights, uh, Sean, into whether this is a disruptor or not. So, yeah, there's been a whole bunch of these coffee substitutes that have been coming around. The first thing I noticed was the mushroom coffee. I think mushroom that coffee. was... That's that's still out there. I think that was marginally successful. I, I think some oh. people are doing that. And then they started throwing new tropics, which was like vitamins and things that was supposed to make your brain work better. I haven't tried it. Skeptical. But minus is, is really interesting. I was looking into it. And the fermentation blend, blend is supposed to have chicory root beans and some dried fruit. And that's interesting since chicory was a really popular coffee substitute in the Eastern Bloc countries in Eastern Europe. Uh, during the 70s and 80s when coffee was subject to rationing and they actually they called it inca which okay. uh, is kind of a play on sanka in the u.s and sure. maybe not maybe not a great endorsement but definitely not <laughs> it's it's not really new it's not the first time we've seen this kind of drink and is it a threat to the industry yes and no i'd say uh i'd say no because coffee is simply so entrenched in our lives that it's hard to imagine it being uprooted and maybe that's short-sighted but even if it ever was, I feel like the major coffee producers would do uh, something similar to what the fossil fuel industry is doing to combat the rise of renewables and the way that threatens their business model. Well, they're buying the competition. If Exxon and Shell and guys like that can leverage their assets in massive economies of scale yeah. to build out 
big solar power networks, I could see Starbucks, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, some of these names we talked about, launching their own iterations of these fermentation batches, getting a good foothold in that market. That's a very, so, very interesting point. So the more that these kinds of innovations spring up, the more M&A opportunity there is out there exactly. for, for diversifying their product lines. That's really, really interesting. Uh, right. This is great. Would anybody switch to it? No. If you're paying. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't switch either. You wouldn't switch either. No, well, you, you haven't tried it yet. I think you have to try it first, right? I guess to me, it's like the Beyond Meat type thing. You know, oh. Coffee is ingrained in me. I don't necessarily want to change it. I'm sure it probably tastes good, but it's not something I would drink every day, <laughs> a few cups a day. Um, so fair enough. Fair. Enough. I think I would wait until somebody else had it before I, I tried it. I think in in some cases, it's a very good idea to have food tasters in the world for the crickets and the coffee-less coffee. But uh, okay, so I think that this is this is terrific. I think we've got amazing insights into coffee futures, what we might expect from Starbucks, from KDP coming up, and what we as consumers are more informed about our coffee purchases and where our prices come from. So thank you so much, Sean, Jeff, Michael, thank you all so much for being here, for taking the time. I hope we do this again. Fantastic. It was a pleasure. For our listeners out there, you can read more commentary and market analysis at IBKR Traders Insight. You can keep abreast about topics we've discussed here today, as well as a wide range of other news critical to your investment decisions. Uh, Michael Linden Research has a host of articles on several themes, uh, from central banks and gold buying to issues involving cybersecurity. Uh, and for a full list of financial educational offerings, visit the IBKR campus at ibkr.com, where as always, all of our educational material is provided to the public at no cost. And until next time, I'm Stephen Levine with Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at ivkr.com.